In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of the most recognizable words in all of the English language are those of the Lord's Prayer. I remember in high school, as a senior, our teacher had us learn the words in Old English to demonstrate the evolution of language. In the Charles Dickens novel Bleak House, as one of the more tragic characters is dying, he asks his friend to pray for him. And these words are repeated by each one in a call and response method. One of my favorite films has a burial scene at sea. And as the somber and morose music of violins play, Russell Crowe leads the ship's company in a very hushed and muted Our Father. We say it at gravesides. We hear it on television. We read it in scripture. And every single liturgy of the Anglican Church and also of the Roman Catholic Church from Eucharist like this one to each of the daily offices like morning prayer and Compline, all of them have the Lord's Prayer as part of the rite. Why, we might ask, is this the case? After all, we have several other recorded prayers that Jesus said, plus all the Psalms and all the prayers that are recorded in Scripture by St. Paul, by King David, by the prophet Daniel, and a whole host of others. The first portion of the answer is the source, and the second portion of the answer is the reason. Jesus himself is the source of this prayer, and he has given it to us as a model for all of our other prayers. As we recite these words, they become a prayer that is quite full and complete in itself. The prayer is also dangerous if you're not careful. The sad bit, the sad bit is that we and myself included, sort of just run through this prayer without ever thinking about what we say. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Y'all know how it is. But if we stop, pause, and ponder this prayer, if we notice that it isn't just a bunch of nice words strung one after the other, then we will come to realize the depth of what it means and the depth of what prayer is and the depth of what our life in prayer truly is. We need to approach the Lord's Prayer in slow motion. Frankly, I could teach on this prayer for the next 10 weeks, devoting one week to each phrase and clause, and we would barely sound its depths. First, this prayer acknowledges who God is to us. God is the Father of all of us. The Lord of all creation, the God who causes all things to be. And he does this from his realm, from heaven, where he lives over and above all creation. In the last few weeks, we have been stunned with awe at the images of the new James Webb telescope. And we sometimes wonder why we can't see heaven there. And it is because... That's the perceived universe. But heaven, heaven is another realm. 
And this universe is contained within that realm. Yet all that we have seen and learned, indeed are now look back billions of years, I think it's 13 billion is what they keep saying, 13 billion years back into time is and was created by our Father. Next, we bless the name of God, the unspeakable, unfathomable name given to Moses, which is a conundrum in itself. And later, after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, we are taught to call upon God our Father in and through the name of Jesus for our health and for our salvation. But we still bless the name of God. Hallowed be thy name, blessed be, sanctified may your name be. In doing so, we acknowledge everything that God is, everything that God has been, and everything that God will be. That's actually what Yahweh means. I am who I am. Or some translations say, I will be whom I will be. Yahweh. And so when we say that, we in essence are saying, yes, yes to God. After that, we pray for the day of the arrival of God's kingdom. But this is one of those places where we really need to be careful because... God's kingdom is already here. We as Christians are already citizens of that kingdom. It's not something that's going to come at the end of the world. It's here now. And what happens is we fail to both recognize it and to take our assigned places and roles in it. Let me see if I can illustrate this with, him, with a little story I wrote up. You go to a restaurant and you order soup. You've asked for it, and eventually the waiter brings it out to you and says, here is the soup you have ordered. And in reply you say, well, I like the idea of the soup, but I don't think I want it. Let someone else eat it, but at least I can say, I have ordered your soup. It's not simply enough to pray and to ask for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to come. We must do our own part to usher it in, to help Jesus usher that kingdom in and to fulfill our roles as the people of God who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and adopted into his family and given the task of proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here now. It's that participation. We can order the soup we've got to eat it too. It's about rolling up your sleeves and joining in the redeeming work of Christ in this world. And at this point, if you are anything like me, the next few words are among the most difficult to utter because they mean I'm not the one in control. Thy will be done. It's not just a simple, okay, God, you go and do whatever you want and leave me alone. I'm, I don't want any part of this. Leave me out. But it's rather the more subjugated, Lord, let me be part of executing your will in this world. Just like the angels in heaven execute your will there. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
and in all moments of our daily life. With every breath that we take and every task we set out to do, we should always in the back of our minds be praying, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And frankly, I know I fail more than I succeed. But it is that constant tugging of desire that we develop as Christians to always be doing what God wills and what God desires from us. Daily bread. Lord, provide for us today what we need for today. Another way to say it in one of the other translations is looking forward in faith and it's rendered, give us our bread for tomorrow. And in our culture that confuses wants and needs, praying that God will sustain us with what we need, not with what we want, is the prayer of the poor, the prayer of the helpless, the prayer of those who have nowhere to turn. And are giving up. Many of us don't worry about where our next meal will come from or when our next paycheck will be cut. Many of us are secure in homes and apartments and we have the cars that we need and we have clothes to wear to protect us from the elements. But out there in the world there are so many who have virtually nothing and it's not because they've made bad choices, but because they are the innocent victims of, as one of our prayers and the prayers of the people say, they're the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. Lately, I've been using this phrase, give us this day our daily bread, to remember the plights of the Ukrainians, for whom I'm sure this single phrase is more poignant now than ever before. And we're going to pause for just a moment because I want you to think for just a minute with me, but I want you to think about someone who has hurt you. Could be your spouse or a sibling. Many people have some sort of angst with their parents. Some people think that their employer is unfair. Or maybe your best friend has committed some grievous act that has shattered all trust. All of us have that person whom we would rather not ever speak to again, not ever see again. Perhaps we might even secretly wish that they were dead. There's no one like you in your life, like that in your life, then you are a far better Christian than I. Because there are some people whom I find it very hard to forgive for what they've done to me. And every time I come to this phrase, this forgive me like I forgive others, it's like a punch in the gut. Because I know that there are some people whom I haven't forgiven. And if I'm honest, it's partly because I don't want to forgive them. Forgive me as much as I forgive those people who hurt me the most. 
who hurt me the worst. That's the danger of taking this prayer at full value. Only forgive me in the measure that I forgive. But thanks be to God that his grace is sufficient to even cover that. Now it doesn't mean that we push forgiveness aside and act like everything is okay and hunky-dory. Rather, it is an invitation to learn to be more like Jesus, who said of the very men who were in the act of killing him, Father, forgive them. It allows us time to whittle away at the hurt and the pain and the agony of what was done to us and learn to say, Father, I forgive them. Please, you forgive them too. Lastly, our prayer is that God would not allow evil to overcome us, to overtake us. Yes, there will be troubles in this world. They'll always be with us. But we know that God is able to keep us safe from the powers of Satan, from the host of evil that sometimes surround us, to beat down all the forces that rule in this present and evil age. Now, one thing in closing, and this is important because we have let language say something that we really, really don't believe. Oftentimes, people will talk about their prayer life and how effective it is or how much they struggle with it or even if it's existent or non-existent. First, Prayer is essential, absolutely essential, every day, multiple times a day. If you are not in prayer each day, your life as a Christian will never blossom because you are not connected to God Almighty. But what has happened is we use this phrase, my prayer life, to mean something like praying for five minutes or so in the morning, maybe saying a blessing over our meal, perhaps, if we're not too tired, saying prayers before we go to bed, and we're done. We've ticked the box on the things we need to do today. I said my prayers, and now I'm off, and I won't give God another thought until maybe tomorrow. No, my friend. We don't need to work on our prayer life. Rather, we need to make our lives one unceasing prayer. We need to be living prayers. We need to foster a life of prayer. And that doesn't mean that you stop all of your activities and close your eyes for five minutes. But it's the simple things that sometimes take Great attention at first, but eventually become easier and easier. For example, uh, at home, we don't have a dishwasher. The, the hard water just eats them up, and so we wash our dishes by hand. Sometimes it's just my mother and I. Other times we might have four or five people over for dinner. Someone may stop by, so we might open a bottle of wine or fix a pot of coffee. But... Day in and day out, there are dishes to do. I venture to say that's probably how it is in many of your homes as well. 
This is something I learned from some Benedictine monks that has been a great source of encouragement for me. As I am washing dishes, I pray for the person who will use that plate next, or that fork next, or who will cut their steaks with that knife next, or who will drink out of that glass next. I don't know who it is. I don't know when it's going to be used again. But God does. Lord God, this plate that I hold in my hand, as I clean it, I pray you will clean the heart of the person who will use it next in Jesus' name. I use that prayer to look forward to the future. Now perhaps you can do the exact same thing except look backwards and pray for the person who has already used that fork or that spoon or whatever utensil it is. And the thing is, you can get creative about it. And God knows exactly what you mean. Lord, keep everyone safe who is traveling on Highway 181 with me today. Lord, bless the people at these companies whose bills I am paying. Lord, I pray for everyone in this checkout line to know that you are the true source of all that we have. Developing a life of prayer is part of our calling into Christian living. There's a Latin phrase, lex orande, lex credendi, and it means the law of prayer is the law of belief, or putting it another way, praying shapes believing. What we pray is what we believe. Praying, that's part of the reason why we have a liturgy, a set form of prayers to help us know what we believe as we pray it. It cannot be stressed. How important prayer truly is in the life of a Christian. And so as we continue with this liturgy, and I'll remind you, liturgy means the work or the prayers of the people, of all of us together. Let me remind you that our liturgy itself is one long prayer from the time you've walked in those doors through this entire liturgy and until you depart from home or for home, be mindful that we are in prayer. We are praying. And throw yourself into it. Ponder each word that is spoken. Each word that you say in your responses. Each line of the hymns that we sing. And as we end our Eucharistic prayer, with these very same words. Let us take it in slow motion, taking time to remember the things that we believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.